0: All right, first question for tonight. Are tattoos sinful or is it just a preference? Is that yours? No. Whose was that? The what? Who asked this question? Oh, Levitical law, nobody cares. (laughs) I (laughs) like this All right, so question two, I guess. Did no one, or does no one want to admit you did not ask this? I swear I asked it. (laughs) All right, if you ask this question but you don't want to admit it, raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. All right, maybe they're not here. All right, so. promise you I asked. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Did you really? Yes. Bro, you did? <laughs> I thought you were joking with me. All right, so this is Noah's question. Awesome. All right, are tattoos sinful or is it just a preference? All right, so first bullet point on your study sheet the verse in question, and you might want to underline verse as in, you know. Singular, not plural. The verse in question states that you're not to make any marks upon you. You're in Leviticus 19. Look at me in verse 28. It says, Ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. So this is the verse in question. This is where we, you know, you might have some circles of Christianity actually saying this, especially in Judaism, they're huge on this. I mean, even to the point where if you're Jewish and you actually get a tattoo, you are not allowed to be buried in a Jewish cemetery. Or I think if you are, you, they have like a special section that you're supposed to go to. <laughs> Seriously, this is it. In, in Jewish cultures, um, what's the term? Like, not traditional Judaism. What's that called? Hasidic Jews? Orthodox, thank you. Orthodox Judaism, this is the case for them. So uh, this is the verse that they pull from. And this is where, again, a lot of Christians kind of pull from this verse. But notice that it says marks. Now, point one on your study sheet, I I find this to be a little interesting side note before we kind of dive in to answer this question. Because we talked about this in How to Study the Bible. The first mention of a word is very, very significant. It helps kind of set the pattern of how God uses this word throughout the rest of the Bible. Not in every case, not in every single verse, but by and large, this is how God sets the pattern of what this word means. The first and last mention Of any form of this word, I have it here on your study sheet. So the very first mention is Genesis 4.15. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth who? Cain. Cain. What did he just get done doing? Killing his brother. God is speaking. He says, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord said a what? Mark Mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. This is the very first mention of the word mark or any form of it in your entire Bible. And Cain was worried that because of what he did, because he was banished from what he he was called to be a vagabond to roam the earth because he killed his brother, God said, okay, you know what? I'm going to distinguish you. I'm going to set you apart, Cain, so that... No one knows, or that everyone knows, not to mess with you. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to put a mark upon you. And just my thoughts, just my guesses, but I wonder if that mark happened to be on his hand or his forehead. Just guessing, just surmising, seeing as how he is the first murderer in the Bible, and he's the first type or picture of the Antichrist in all of the Bible. Just can't help but wonder. And the very last mention of this is Revelation chapter 20 verse four. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the who? Preach. neither His image, neither had received his what? Four. Mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. These are the faithful saints during the tribulation period. And again, the church is going to be out of here. We're going to be raptured. We don't have to worry about this at all. But these are people that did not receive the mark of the beast upon their foreheads or in their hands. So again, just a side note. But this is the first and last time you see this word mark, or any form thereof, show up in all of the Bible. Now again, as I've already stated... God uses the first and yes, yeah, sometimes the last mention to separate and sanctify and differentiate these things. So that you kind of see a pattern here. Now back in Leviticus 1928, again he says, Don't print any marks upon you. Why? For I am the Lord. Now, along with the first and last mention, point two on your outline, we have to apply the other rules of Bible study. I mean, just a couple of them here. Who is God speaking to? Not only that, but as we've covered in a Sunday morning class with the, with how to study the Bible, when is God speaking? What time frame is he talking about here? Was he operating the same way then that he does now that he will in the future? All questions consider. Are there any other passages that back up this verse? I got to tell you, there are a lot of churches today, there's a lot of uh, influential people in Christianity, on social media, in churches, that they just pull verses out of context. They will use one verse and try to say that this is it, and they will build whole entire doctrines out of it. you got to be careful with those, because God wrote the book to reveal truth. And the way that He did that, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, is by comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. We have to let the Bible interpret itself, and we have to see where else does the Bible talk about this. That's another key point of how to study the Bible. And not only that, what is the historical, doctrinal, and devotional application of Leviticus nineteen twenty eight? And so, I went ahead and took those three points here and put it on your outline in these little subpoints because really, if we cover the historical application, the doctrinal application, and the devotional or practical application, it'll really take care of all these other questions as well. But historically speaking, what does this passage have to do in light of history? The law of God, or this is the law of God to Israel. There's a very important reason why I have two as your blank. That's spelled T-O, by the way, not T-W-O. It's the law of God written to Israel. His children on how they are to live and conduct themselves in the wilderness and eventually the promised land. What just happened in the previous book? They got, they were, got exodisted. It's in the dictionary. Look it up. The Exodus happened. They were delivered from the heavy hand of Pharaoh. They were in bondage and in slavery in Egypt. And God, through Moses, the capital P prophet, as Deuteronomy chapter 15 calls him, he delivers them out, a picture of Jesus Christ, delivers them out of that bondage, out of that captivity, out of that slavery. And now they're set free. Their past life is behind them on the other side of the Red Sea. Now it's just the promised land before them. But man, it's not like what we had back in Egypt. At least back then when we were slaves and servants and getting beaten and whipped, at least we had garlics and we had leeks and we had all of this yummy food. How on earth are we going to operate out here? And what if we decide, okay, that man up there, Moses, he's not doing the job. Uh, Maybe we should get a new leader here. So God very early on decided, you know what? You guys need some laws in order to help govern you in the wilderness. Because isn't that what happened to you after you got saved? Boom! The shutters were removed from your eyes, the light turned on, and you were just like, man, I see everything in a whole new way. I don't think the way I used to before I got saved. I don't speak the same way I did before I got saved. I don't act the same way. At least that should be what happened to you after you got saved. And you might be thinking, man, how how do I operate here? That's why we do one-on-one discipleship in this church. To sit down, an older believer with a younger believer, to help navigate them through this wilderness of this new life you have in Christ. To help you by showing you the law of God, which is why the book of Leviticus is in your Bible in the spot that it is. That's the historical application of where we find Leviticus 19.28. But there's also a doctrinal application here, or there's a deeper prophetic teaching, so to speak. Next point. This passage is about the Egyptians, or rather, it's not about that, but I'm giving you some kind of context here. The Egyptians were well known to have cuts or markings or tattoos upon their bodies, especially as part of their worship of false gods. I mean, this is a known historical fact. I mean, have you guys seen any ancient depictions of of Egypt? Have you guys seen or studied out Egyptian culture? Even some of their cave drawings, you see that their, their leaders, their pharaohs, they had these markings all over their body, tattoos, cuts even. And it was all a part of their worship of their false gods. Israel was delivered, saved, from the world system and called to be set apart or sanctified unto the Lord you can check those passages out later but that's why God is instructing them this with this passage here hey you're different now Israel you're not back in Egypt anymore I want you to be different I want you to be set apart I want the others when you go into the promised land to see that there's something different about you I own you now I bought you I redeemed you I want all the world to know it And newsflash, it's the same want and desire that God has for your life. Now that you're saved, He wants everybody else to know there's something different and unique about you. He wants the entire world to know in your vicinity, in your land, which is different from everybody else's, wherever it is you go to school or wherever it is you go to work or whatever family members you have, He wants all of them to see there's something different about you than everybody else in the world to be set apart if the world was looking like this he didn't want Israel to look anything like it that's the doctrinal application that's the deeper teaching behind it but there's also a devotional application how does this apply to us today as Egypt is a type or picture of the anybody fill in the blank world we also ought to be set apart under the Lord rather than looking like the world. We ought to bear the marks of Christ. Turn over to Galatians chapter 6. This is an interesting passage. I don't know if any of you have ever seen it before. If you're like, man, what on earth does this mean? Galatians chapter 6. Paul's finishing out this incredible letter, setting people straight on false teachings going on in the church. Look at verse 15 for context. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. We were just talking about this at Northwest Bible Club today. That so many religions and even the pharisees going back even to Christ's day they wanted to interject religion that's why religion killed christ religion comes against the relationship that christ wanted to offer to all of us and even after christ these same guys these same pharisees wanted to interject their religious good deeds their religious works into the finished work of christ on the cross nothing's changed two thousand years later we have churches today where they tell you that if you want to be genuinely saved you have to get baptized we have churches they tell you that if you want to be saved you better speak in tongues afterwards we have churches they tell you that if you want to be genuinely saved and proof that you are actually saved is that you will do good works afterwards otherwise you were never saved to begin with in fact good works plus the shed blood of Christ that's what saves you that's what the book of galatians is all about paul is telling them no it is only by the blood it is only by what christ did on the cross that is what saves us our works are as filthy stinking rags that could never amount to enough righteousness to inherit eternal life never that's what he's saying straight here circumcision availeth nothing but, verse 13, where was I at? Verse 15, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. That is the evidence of conversion. Verse 16, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them. If you really are a new creature, if old things are passed away and all things are become new, then man walk accordingly in peace and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Look at verse 17. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the what? Of the Lord Jesus. Now this is very interesting, and this has a lot of people speculating. What does Paul mean here? Because if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about how he had this thorn in the flesh that, that hindered him. And, well, I guess that passage really... Technically wouldn't work because he said it was from Satan. But there was something that was definitely wrong with Paul, and whether he got it from what we're gonna look at here in a couple of passages, uh, one thing is for sure, either way, whether it was sent from Satan or allowed by God, in other words, uh, these marks of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what it shows? You know what it demonstrates? Ownership. Paul demonstrates that, you know what? The things that I've been through in life, it's not because of me. It's not because I brought it on myself. These marks that I have, these, what I think we're going to see here in a little bit in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, these beatings, these stripes, these wounds that I've got, it's not because, oh, I just looked at somebody the wrong way or I ran my mouth to the wrong person, wrote a check that my butt couldn't cash. In other words, It's not because of that, no. He's saying that these marks that he has of the Lord Jesus Christ are because Jesus Christ changed his life and there's consequences to that. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer Suffer persecution. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, just a few pages to your left. the marks of Jesus Christ. If you're just a sometimes Christian, you have one foot in the world, and one foot in your Bible, you're here on Wednesdays and Sundays, but the other days of the week you just act and think and speak the way that you want to, you might be genuinely saved, but you know what one thing is absolutely certain? The Lord Jesus Christ does is, is not have control over your life. He may be your Savior, but He sure ain't your Lord. What He wants, as we'll see here at the end of this point, is control. He wants to control every aspect of your life. Somebody who goes through what we're about to read here, there's not a chance that anybody would go through that if they haven't completely yielded over and surrendered all control over to their Lord and Savior. Look at verse 23. This is Paul speaking. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. He's being humble. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In, what's that word? Above measure. How many times have you been beaten because of your testimony for Christ? Is it even close to what would be considered above measure? I haven't. We got it pretty easy here. In prisons, more frequent. How often have you been in prison for your faith? Gotten in trouble at school. Gotten detention. In deaths, oft. Any near-death experiences? Not because, oh man, I was on a plane we experienced turbulence. No. Any near-death experiences because of Your faith and your walk with Christ. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one or except one time. (laughs) As though that's nothing. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. And as if that's no small thing, look what he says here a night and a day I have been in the deep. Can you imagine if you were shipwrecked and you were just out at sea? Like for a night and a day. Clinging on. Not knowing if you were going to get rescued or not. And you know why he was shipwrecked? Because he was taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Oh, and by the way, verse 28, Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily that which really gets him that which really beats his heart up every single day the care of all the churches you want to know what I think those marks are in Galatians 6.17 that he talks about it's the scars and it's the beatings and it's the marks that shows that he belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ he's not saved in living his life for himself He's completely sold out and surrendered to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 8.3 says, If any man loved the Lord, the same is known of him. Back then, if you were to take one look at Paul, you would have known, that guy loves the Lord. That guy belongs to the Lord. Not a question about it. If we were to go to your schools tomorrow, if we were to go to your parents tonight, and say... Does so-and-so not know the Lord? Not even obey the Lord? No, 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 no. Does so-and-so love the Lord? Would it be obvious? Would it be known? What would they say? That's the devotional application. Rather than us looking like the world, acting like the world, being like what everyone else is doing, in other words, we ought to be set apart and sanctified just like Israel was here. Showing that we've been delivered from sin, delivered from bondage, just like Israel was in Egypt, and set apart unto the Lord. So with those applications... Let's answer the question. While we are not Jews living under the Old Testament law, the Bible has no clear verse or verses one way or the other on the matter. As I already pointed out, Leviticus 19.28 is really the only verse you see in the entire Bible that says that. And one of the rules of Bible study, you can't base a doctrine on one verse. In light of that, this makes this a preference. It's your second blank there. And I know some of you guys know what I mean by that, but for those of you who don't, there are principles in Scripture that we do not budge on. You either obey it or you disobey it. A preference, it's one of those gray areas of the Bible. This would be a gray area. It's a preference. However, don't miss this note. As with any preference, with any gray area in the Bible, it is always best to exercise caution rather than carelessness. Do I need to repeat that? No Seth, one more time second. Whenever it comes to a gray area in the Bible, a preference, if you will, it is always best to exercise caution rather than carelessness. Consider these following questions with anything, but even in specifically when it comes to tattoos. First question, will it bring glory to God? Turn over to 1 Corinthians, just one book to your left, chapter 10. You're probably thinking, oh, yeah, I'll have a Bible verse on there and I'll be able to tell people what it means. Okay. Will that still bring glory to God, though? So things you have to consider. Can I get a reader for verses 31 to 33? Uh, Jack. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Now we're all very familiar with verse 31. Whatsoever you eat or drink. And then just to cover everything. Whatsoever ye do. Do all to the glory of God. But I threw in verse 33, because we often don't think of that verse in relation to this. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit. In other words, I'm not doing this for me, but the profit of many that they may be saved. In other words, everything you do, you want to know how you give glory to God? Well, a good indicator is, is this going to help lead anybody to saving faith in Christ? If not maybe this isn't going to bring maybe this isn't going to bring god glory so that's the first question you have to ask yourself and then even after you answer that question you have to ask the second question okay will this really bring glory to god or is it more about glorifying your flesh flip over to chapter 1 Chapter 1, verse 29. Read it for that one. Short and sweet. Alex. That no flesh should glory glory in His presence. How much flesh? No No flesh. If you're doing it because you want to glorify you, you want to glorify your body, it's all about the glorification of man. Uh, God's not all about that. So you've got to ask yourself, is that why I want to do it? To show off my body. 1 Peter one twenty four. Man, definitely you apply this to tattoos. For all flesh is as, what? Grass. And all the glory of man as, what? The flower. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, since he already made the comparison, as, the simile. Since he already made the comparison, he's like, uh, the grass withereth. So what's he really saying is withering here? Flesh flesh the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away just keep in mind if you're in it for yourself because you think it'll glorify you you think it'll make you look cooler hot sexy fill in the blank whatever the word you want to use just keep this verse (laughs) ever in the forefront of your mind flesh is going to wither your glory is going to fade quite literally Especially if, depending on what tattoo you get. If your flesh withers while you have that tattoo, then that tattoo's going to wither away with it. Just sag down eventually. <laughs> Andy, you want to do a demonstration? No, I have my purpose of view right here, so when, it, when I do get fat... Your face just gets fat and stretches. That, I, you don't have a tattoo of my face. Yes, I do. Aww. It's just right was that for the glory of God, though? That is preference. <laughs> so even when you answer that question, gotta ask yourself this third one: Are you doing it for the right motives? You can check out Romans fourteen later, but I mean it's basically saying you know it, whatsoever is done without faith is sin. If you're debating on it, then don't. James 4, 17. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is what? These are verses that are talking about your conscience. These are verses that help you with those gray areas in the Bible. Maybe you could give a rip. Maybe you're like, I'm never getting a tattoo. Well, what other gray issues or preferences do you maybe struggle with or battle with? Use these verses to help answer that question. Are you doing it? faithfully are you are you doing it in faith faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the so you better be seeking out what the bible has to say about it but even at the end of the day if you know ah you know what it's not going to bring glory to god it's all about glorifying my flesh i'm not doing this for the right motives and i'm going to go ahead and do it anyways well if you do that then it does become sin so to answer this question if you said no to any of these three above questions, in that case then, it is sinful based upon the scriptures shown. You guys understand, getting a tattoo inherently, it's not sinful. However, if you answer no to any of these questions we just looked at, then it is becoming sinful because you're now you're violating your conscience. And I guess violating scripture as far as bringing glory to God. Any questions on that? Thoughts, comments, concerns, criticisms? you getting yours. <laughs> I'm getting a tattoo of my face, on my face, only slightly off-center. And then I'm going to stand outside of 3D movie theaters so I can ruin people's lives. Oh, please do. <laughs> can you imagine? People still have the glasses on. That would be amazing. No, it's a joke by a comedian, but thanks, Heather. Now I can't take credit for it. <laughs> if Stephen's listening, he's laughing right now. All right, second question. Question two. When pursuing something that can have a big impact on the course of your life, I guess I should have said in my life, on the course of my life, how can I know whether God wants me to or not? How do I know if it's His will for me? Uh, out of curiosity, did it, Anybody? was this anybody's question? Jack, do you have like three more in the box too? Uh, no, this was the first of three. <laughs> so you have two more then. Okay, all right, no I thought one. so. <laughs> I mean, awesome. This is a question that I'm very, very passionate about, which side note, before I get too detracted, um, if you guys do have any other questions the, and to throw in the box for future weeks, uh, you can keep it anonymous. I don't really care. But it just helps me in case if I have a follow up question, I know who to contact. So go ahead and put your name down. I'm not going to laugh at you or giggle. <laughs> what a stupid question. So it's all good. Except the tattoo one did make me giggle a little bit. Kidding, bro. Kidding, kidding. It was awesome. It was a good. Question. Yeah, it was good. All, right. All right. Then who did? <laughs> it was probably Ben. Ben, that was your question, wasn't it? All right. So this is a question that I'm very, very passionate about because, honestly, you know, especially for those of you who are seniors, this is huge because the very next couple weeks of your life and, and decisions that maybe you've already made this could determine the course of the rest of your life depending upon what you choose. And for those of you who are juniors, who are even contemplating, man, my senior year is coming up, uh, and it's going to be here before I know it. What am I going to do after graduation? That's huge. And maybe it isn't necessarily, I mean, still big impact, but maybe not like, you know, career-wise or college-wise, but maybe you're talking with that guy or you're talking with that girl. Anything, fill in the blank. How do I know if this is God's will? So, uh, man... I'm really excited to go through the rest of these. So again, keep these study sheets. We're not gonna hit every single one of the, the verses that are on here, but take these home, re-look at some of these verses, the verses we don't look at, look them up yourself, and really even probably find a place that you can write these down in your Bible because I really want you guys, and all of your leaders are in agreement. we want you guys to be successful we don't want you guys making the mistakes that we've made we don't want you guys making the mistakes that your peers or that your previous classmates have made we want you guys to succeed in first corinthians 10 31 and bringing god glory in everything that you do in everything so when it comes to this this concept of pursuing something that's big that's going to have a impact on the course of your life, and knowing whether it's from God or knowing you know what God's will is, please pay close heed to this. Alright, so first bullet point here. As it pertains to the will of God, there are seven things that God specifically records in the Bible that He says are His will for us. Because this question does have to do with that. What's God's will for my life? Well, what does the Bible have to say? Who cares what I have to say? What about God's word? And there's actually seven areas where it talks about God's will. Now I put John 13, 17 in parentheses there because a lot of you guys, I'm going to spout some of these points and these verses, and you are be like, yeah, I know that verse. But you know what John 13, 17 says? If ye know these things, happy are ye if what? You do them. One of the biggest Problems in Christianity, and especially high school age, is that yeah I know the Bible, yeah I know the Bible. I grew up in this church. I I know all of the Sunday school lessons. I know all of the VBS lessons. I memorized all of the verses. I know these things. I know these things. I know these things. God doesn't say happy if you know these things. Happy are ye if ye do these things. And please keep in mind. The time frame of the church age that you and I live in, according to Revelation chapter 3, is called the Laodicean church time period. As you read Revelation 3, 14 to 22, you know what you find? The characteristic that defines this day and age that we live in? It's self-deception. It's people who think that because I know all of these things, that I am by default doing them. And they're deceived. They're deceiving themselves. So look at these things as though it's the first time you're seeing them. So the first point, 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness. As a side note, uh, last week's big Wednesday night question that we looked at. Uh, this verse comes right after the passage talking about the world being overflowed with water. This is the very next verse from what we read, read last week. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us word. Because honestly, this world should be flooded again. But he's patient with us. He's not willing that any should perish. But that some... Is that what the Bible says? No, what does the Bible say? All. All. All should come to repentance, not willing that anyone should perish. That means be separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. The first will of God is that I would be repentant of my sins so that I don't perish, so that I don't spend an eternity away from him. And this is why it's the first will, because really, this is the first step that every human being needs to come to in their life. They need to come to a spot where I realize I have, like Isaiah 53, 6 says, I've gone my own way, and it is in in stark contrast to God and what He is trying to do in my life. And I'm going against Him. Remember what happened when Paul got saved? When he saw that blinding light and the voice of God from heaven says, Paul, it's like you're kicking against pricks, you're kicking against a thorn bush. I'm trying, I put the thorn bush in the way to try to stop you. You need to stop the way that you're going and repent and turn from it and turn unto me. You realize that 2,000 years ago, God sent His Son to die on the cross for you? So that you wouldn't perish? So that you would have the opportunity to be saved? And all He asks is. It's for us to stop thinking the way that we think. For us to stop living our lives for ourselves. For us to stop trusting in our own goodness to get to heaven. And to repent. That's the first will of God. And if you've not come to that point of decision in your life, you need to and you need to do it tonight. Because you're not guaranteed it tomorrow. Speaking of Mexico, you guys hear what happened in the news this past week? Mm-hmm. A border crossing an hour and 27 minutes away from where we just crossed last year. Four Americans crossed over the border to seek medical attention. And not long after crossing the border, their car was riddled with machine gun fire. Two of the four are dead. They were going to get cheap medical help down there. And according, who knows what the case actually is. But according to the authorities, case of mistaken identity. The cartel thought they were somebody else. Two lives gone. You're not guaranteed a tomorrow. Yeah, that's the Wild West down there in the border. But the crazy things that happen up here? I remember thinking, never in a million years will there ever be a school shooting in Jackson Township. And yet, how many of you were there in middle school just, what, five, six years ago when that happened? What if he did successfully pull it out? and not shoot himself in the leg. What would have happened? You're not guaranteed a tomorrow. But you don't know what God's will is for your life, that you would repent and you would trust Him as Savior. that can happen tonight if it hasn't happened for you. And God wants that to happen to everybody you're going to see tomorrow in your hallways and your classrooms. That's the first will of God. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians. A couple pages to your right if you're still in Corinthians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Can I get a reader for verses 3 and 4? Audie, go ahead. So this is the will of God... Even your sanctification, mm-hmm. that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to pose, possess pos- possess his vessel in sac- sanctification and honor. The second will of God you find in scriptures that I would be sanctified. That means set apart. We already talked about that in the first question. After you get saved, after you enter into a personal relationship with Christ, your life should be different and you should be seeking after the things that continue to set you apart to be more unto him so that he can mold you into a vessel of honor fit for the master's use. That's what he wants from you. He wants control. Point three. Romans 12, 2, a verse that should be familiar with for many of you. And be not conformed to this world, but be he transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The next will is that you would not be conformed to look like this world. That kind of goes hand in hand with point number two. But again, the Bible says he doesn't want us looking like everybody else. He doesn't want you sounding like everybody else. Doesn't want you thinking like this world thinks. I'm telling you guys. Oh, by the way, uh, boys Bible studies going on this Sunday at 6 o'clock. Toxic Christianity. I'll explain more about that when we actually have it. I'm planning on shooting a skit also. That'll be fun. Uh, 6 o'clock at the Maze's house. Boys, be there. But I was even just thinking about, like, just with certain things about this dating relationship study we're doing on Sunday mornings and even just the guy study, you guys realize that there are so many things that have been pumped into your brain from the world about things like dating and what to do in dating and what not to do in dating that so much has been just pumped into your brains, and some of you might actually think that it's become acceptable in the norm. And you don't even realize that, no, that's actually the world system and Satan feeding your brains, saying that this is okay, that isn't okay. Those are things that we're going to uncover both in this guy study and as well as in the dating relationships class. But we should not be looking like this world. We shouldn't be thinking and acting like this world. It's not his will. Fourth thing. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 15, you can look that up later, but it's basically saying that I would obey authorities that God has placed in my life. Your parents, your teachers, your leaders, that I would obey the authorities God has placed in my life. Again, you check that passage out. It talks about the will of God. That's His will. It's also His will. You guys are in 1 Thessalonians. Turn over to chapter 5. Look at verse 18. Somebody give me a reader for that one. Rose. Um, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In some things, every word matters. What does it say? In everything. Yeah, but that guy broke my heart. In everything give thanks. Yeah, but my friend ruined my reputation. In everything give thanks. Yeah, but life really sucks right now probably does in everything give thanks you still have breath in your lungs it's another day for you to give glory to your king and he loves you immensely no matter what you've been through or what you're going through or how you're feeling it's hard to give thanks when things are sucking but you know what it's doing Points 1 through 4. <laughs> Setting you apart, making you less like this world, making you more like His dear Son. That's why we go through the pain that we go through in life. It's for those things. The so point 5, that I would live a life of thankfulness. sixth will of God is that I would have pure motives with God and man. Bible says we ought to have a conscience void of offense toward God and men. Right motives, pure motives. It's kind of funny. I don't know, is anybody else seeing similarities between this question and the first question? Kind of funny, I didn't plan that. And the sixth will. Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17 on the screen here. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Why? The days are evil. I hope you feel it and you sense it, and I hope it's causing you to do what this verse is saying. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The seventh will of God is that I would not waste the time that God has given me. You see the progression with these things here? Starts with Salvation. Moves into discipleship and sanctification and growing in your walk and relationship with Christ. Now, why go through all of these things? This doesn't really help answer my question. Well, look at the sub-point here. The Bible says that if you are actively pursuing and doing the above, you'll know what He's wanting you to do with your life. Don't believe me? John seven seventeen. This is Christ speaking. If any man will what? Know his will? No, do his will. Look at this. If you do his will, these seven things we just looked at, he, you, shall know of the doctrine. You know another word for doctrine? It's teaching. You'll know what it is that God is trying to show you. You'll know what it is that God has planned for your life. You'll know where it is that you're supposed to go next in your walk with God. If you're doing His will. These seven things we just looked at. Do these seven things. Focus on these seven things, and you'll know easily where you're supposed to go next. Because whatever it is that God has next for you, it's not going to violate these seven points that we just looked at. It's not going to go contrary to those seven things. If what you're about to do with your decision or your next step is going to violate these seven things, it's probably not what God wants you to do. Matthew 7.24, that's the passage where Christ likens a man who, who does these things to what? A guy who does what? Builds his house on? On rock. Someone who does these things. The guy who doesn't do these things, he builds it on sand. And He's sad. He's very sad because he loses everything. But no, the guy who builds his house on rock, when the rain descends, the flood came, the winds blow, and they beat upon that house, it fell not. Why? It was founded upon a rock. If you do these things. Turn over to James chapter 1. This is the second to last place I'll have you guys turn tonight. Mm -hmm. Ugh, this chapter is just jam-packed with goodies. Yeah, Audie? Is that New Testament? Yep, it's towards the end. If you go to Revelation and work backwards a couple books, you should be able to find it. Or you can look on Alex's book. James chapter 1, verse 22. Follow along with me, verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Again, you guys know this passage. You know these verses. Look at it like it's the first time you've ever seen it. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. In other words, if you're only hearing this and it's going in one ear and out the other because you know these verses and, yeah, I'm already doing that. Get to, the, get to something new that I haven't heard before. Okay, if that's your mindset right now, you're deceiving your own self and you're not gonna get anything out of this and you're probably gonna make a horrendous decision with whatever your next step is concerning this big life change. Verse 23, for if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Picture here, wake up tomorrow morning and go look in the mirror. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, I look good, I'm ready for this day and then walk right out the door. We should do that. That would be fun. We need to have an overnighter, probably this fall. We need to have an overnighter, and then we all need to take pictures of ourselves the very next day. And then use this as a word picture. It's happening. We're doing it. All right. But think about it. Would any of you guys do that? No. Would any of you guys choose to do that? I don't even look at it. All right, Mason, go on the hallway. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Lucky you. All right. All right, sibling squabble later. But interesting. I do want to hear the rest of that story. That's, Anywho, none of us would do that or choose to do that. So why would we do that with God's Word? Where we look into the mirror of God's Word, the perfect law of liberty, and the Bible's calling us out that we're only hearing these things and we're not doing what He's wanting us to do, and then we do nothing with it. That's the same exact mentality he's saying here. Verse 24, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But, and don't miss 25, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, the seven wills of God for your life, when you look at these things and continue therein, do them, put them into practice, Be intentional with them every single day of your life. Do a self-examination check. How am I doing on will number three, will number four? Examine these things to see if they're in your life. And continue therein. He, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You want to know what decision to make next in life? Do these things and you'll be blessed. Do the will of God and you'll know what He wants you to do and you'll be blessed. So that's the first point on it. The second piece of advice from the Bible I would give on that this kind of covers what we looked at the last two Sundays seek a multitude of counselors. Now, for those of you who don't remember, and maybe you need to go back and check our podcast out on what we were talking about on Sunday mornings with biblical relationships and friendships, we were talking about three types of friends to have. You have Pauls who are kind of like mentors, older, more established in their walk. You have Timothys who are younger in their faith, you know, younger than you, not as far along in their walk as you are. And then you have Barnabases, a peer-to-peer group. Now, when it comes to seeking a multitude of counselors... I would advise you, and I believe the Bible would back me up on this, that you probably shouldn't go to Timothy's and Barnabas's. Get the advice of your best friend. But if you really want direction on where to go with your next decision of wherever God's leading you, of what God's will is for your life, you want to seek those who are farther along in their walk than you are. And we don't have time But, oh, man, if there's a passage you want to check out later tonight, it's 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 and 19. So underline that, star that, put it in your phone if you need to. Look at it before you go to bed. You'll hear about a king, as he came into power, was wondering, what do I do with these people who are under me? So he goes to two groups of people. One are mentor-counselor types, and he gets their advice, and they're like, hey... Be like the Lord. Be long suffering with the, how you deal with these people. And then this king went to the younger folk. He went to younger people. And they said, no, double down. In fact, I can't remember. I'm going to butcher the phrase. You'll see it when you actually come across it. But he says that uh, it goes, he kind of compares it to hey, your reign should make your dad's reign like your small little finger. He's like, put these guys under heavy tribute and crush them. And the Bible actually says that this king decided to go with the younger council instead of the older council. And Israel, the entire nation, suffered as a result of it. When you're seeking counsel on what to do, yeah, you can ask your friends' advice, but I'm telling you, you want to seek people who have experience in the area, who have life experience in the area. Who have made a mistake or two in their life that can tell you and warn you against making the same thing that they did. Seek a multitude of counselors, Paul's. Because in point one, the Word of God and people will take you, wait, the Word of God and people will take you to the Word of God. I'm going to be 100% honest, I have no idea what on earth I meant there when I put that on the study sheet. But let's go to the Bible, anyways. Psalm 119, 24. The chapter in the Bible, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. Every single verse is about the Word of God. Thy testimonies, another phrase for the Word of God, also are my delight and my what? Also. So go to people who will direct you to the Word of God. Go to the Bible that will direct you towards more of the Word of God. I think that's what I meant by that. Last week was a blur. Next point. <laughs> Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where no counsel is, the people what? Oh. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. I won't belabor the point because I mentioned it two Sundays ago. Don't go to the people that are going to tell you what you want to hear. Go to people that will tell you the truth, even if it hurts. Because I'm telling you, that little bit of pain that you'll get from that counselor because they might have hurt your feelings or rubbed you the wrong way a little bit. I, I don't know if that counts here. That little bit of pain that will, you will be so thankful when you see the lifelong consequence if you weren't to go to that person, if you, to, if you were to follow through with your decision. When you're saved from that lifelong decision, the pain that you're saved from, you'll thank the person that they rubbed you the wrong way or something that might have been, said something that might have been a little too harsh for you. Because in point two, you'll fall if you don't go to multitude of counselors, but you'll be safe if you do. So whatever this, this big step is or what's next for you, seek a multitude of counselors on it. Paul's. Ask what their thoughts are. Point three. Because counselors help reveal true intentions or purposes. You can even put in motives there if you want. Counselors help reveal true intentions or purposes behind your potential decisions, causing you to see the consequences behind every decision. Proverbs 15, says that purposes are disappointed in a multitude of counselors you might have your motives you might have your intentions but when you run it across a gamut of counselors they'll be like hey not a wise move and you'll thank me later that i'm telling you this now holy smokes i almost fell ecclesiastes 8 6 i almost forgot all about this verse if you guys are looking for a new memory verse make it this because to every purpose, there is time and judgment. Any good thing, any great thing of lasting value on this earth, hasn't at least came through time or pain. Case in point, I mentioned it this past Sunday. My kids. It's a length of time, and it came through great pain. I labored and I labored. and I labored. No. That's kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. Lighten up. Came through great pain. Childbirth does. You ever think that this is what God equates to bearing fruit? You want to be fruitful in your life? You want to have the markings that show you belong to the Lord, that He has ownership over you? Every purpose, there is time and judgment. Time and pain. You might be waiting a while for it. Which is why, in two weeks' time on Sundays, I'm actually going to kick off the dating thing with talking about something that you don't want to hear and that's waiting. And judgment, pain. Everything that is lasting, everything that is worth it, comes through some level of pain. Therefore, the misery of man is great upon him. It's a rough life. This is why Paul said in Romans chapter 8 that all of the creation groaneth to wit that we would get the adoption of our body. Even though we're saved, we're still in the body of this death and we're just longing for the day that we won't sin against God anymore. Longing for the day we won't go through pain anymore. Longing for the day that we won't have to wait anymore. He will be ours and we will be His and it will be bliss. And there will be no more misery anymore. That's what multitude of counselors does. And lastly, point four, regardless of your intentions, the overall consensus of their counsel is worth fighting for. Proverbs 24, 6. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war. You get a multitude of counselors that are helping you, point you in the decision of whatever it is you think God's will is for your life. Hey, fight for it. Go for it. Make war. Step out on faith. Because there's safety there. So that would be my second bit of advice from Scripture as far as pursuing something that have a big impact on the course of your life, how you know it's from God. God seems to confirm it from counselors. He confirms it from the will of God. Third, baptize everything in bold prayer, expecting a clear answer. Baptize means to immerse, drown the thing. Every waking minute of your life, take it to God in prayer. That's why I use that word, baptize, submerge it, dunk it, saturate it, everything in bold prayer and expect a clear answer from God. How much of our prayer life is just us merely giving God advice on how he can help us? He's not so much interested in that. Instead, what he wants us to do is be like Elijah. Lord, I want fire. Oh, here. Here's my buckets of water that I'm dumping on this trench here. Can you please call down fire? Just because it's going to make your glory and this act you're about to do all the more incredible to those who are looking on. Man, what a bold prayer. That's why the book of James. Hold your place in James 1. Sorry, I just thought of this. Look at James chapter 5. Add this to your nose here. James 5, verses 16 and and 17 and 18. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent, passionate prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias, that's Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. I love that. I love that it ties Elijah as a man who is fervent and effectual and passionate in his prayer. Let me ask you, how's your prayer life doing? When was the last time that you went before the Lord at his throne, stormed the gates of heaven, In bold prayer over this subject to whatever it is that you're wrestling with, whatever your future courses of your life are going to be. Lord, should I do this? Should I not do that? Should I pursue this? Should I pursue Him? Should I pursue her? Don't pursue Him. That'll make sense in a couple weeks. Now back to chapter one. Man, you need help with your prayer life, read the book of James. Yeah, you have it bookend, chapter five. Now look at chapter one. Memorize these verses. If any of you, verse five, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God and give it that giveth to all men liberally. You don't find that word in your Bible that often. Let me just tell you. God will give you the answer liberally, but there's a condition. Keep reading. And upbraideth not. He's going he's not gonna hold anything back. And it shall be given him. But let him or you ask in what? And then he gives the definition of what he means by that nothing wavering. Nothing wavering. Expect an answer. Why? For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. In other words, if you come to God and you're like, oh, Lord, you know, I I think I want this, but then I think I want that, and I just don't know. No, what is it you want? Whatever it is you want, go to Him boldly, and He'll make it clear to you. No, you know what? That's not for you right now. Or that's not for you at all. But if you're wavering, Lord, all of my counselors said this, and all of my counselors said that I think that they think I should do this, but I don't know, I'm just not sure. If you're like that, verse 7, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. If your counselors are confirming something for you, if the will of God, you're in the will of God for sure, and you know based upon the Spirit of God who lives inside of you, He's telling you to do this. When you baptize it in prayer, you better be bold, you better not waver, and you better expect a clear answer from God. Last passage, turn over to Job 42. Proverbs 3, 5, 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Job Job 42, the last chapter of the book. So you guys know Job's story. Man, he keeps coming up a lot in these Q&As. Job went through great tribulation. He lost everything got beat up by his so-called friends. God had to have a one-on-one with him. And he had some bold prayers with God. And God was bold with him too. Look at Job's resolve. Look at his resolve that he came to in verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. It's good to pray back Scripture to God, by the way. You should try this. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. He's admitting in humility that he doesn't know what he's doing. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. This is Job speaking to God, by the way. I will demand of thee, Lord, and declare thou unto me. This is not a man who's cocky and arrogant and trying to get his way with God. He's not entitled. This is a man who came to the end of himself and has full resolve and says, Lord, I am now ready to hear what it is that you have to say to me. And I'm completely made up my mind that whatever it is you tell me, that's what I'm going to do. It's not about me anymore. I'm at the end of myself. I'm finally ready. I had to go through all of this. I had to get beat up by my counselors. I had to get beat up by the word of God. I'm doing the will of God, and I'm getting beat up by my, being persecuted by my friends at school. And all this is happening, but I'm bearing the marks of God in my life. I'm showing that I'm giving you more control, and I'm yielding over to you. I'm ready to hear what you have to say now. And whatever it is you tell me, I'm going to do it. That's what he's saying. I have heard of thee, verse 5, by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. So whatever it is, as far as the next step for you, where God's leading you, you want to know how it's the will of God? Immerse the sucker in prayer. Be bold with God and expect a clear answer. And lastly, live every day recognizing your deadness and let Christ live his life through you. I told you guys, this theme and concept is going to come up again, again, and again. Ever since Romans chapter 6, your life is not your own. If you just wake up every single morning and set your affection on things above and not on the earth, as Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, because ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ, you realize you're crucified since the moment you got saved, you're dead. It's all about Him living His life through you. You won't have to worry about anything if He is in control of your heart, if you recognize that you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's because you're not your own in verse 19. You wake up and live every single day like that. You won't have anything to worry about because He's going to direct your paths. He's going to guide your steps. He'll lead you to what your next step should be. You do all four of these main points. Know the will of God and do it. Seek a multitude of counselors, baptize everything in prayer, and just live every day recognizing it's His life that He's living through me. It's not me living my life as a saved Christian to do whatever I want. You'll be just fine.